0: Welcome back in everyone to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. This is part one of our coverage of the Chain Theaters One Act Festival, which is playing now through June 25th at the Chain Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting ChainTheater.org. This is going to be a very fun and fast episode as we have 13 shows from the festival between two episodes for you. We'll be speaking with each of them for roughly about 15 to 20 minutes apiece. And over the course of that time, we'll be able to get information about the show as well as about the artists themselves. So we hope you enjoy this two-part coverage of the Chain Theater's One Act Festival and hopefully, you'll be able to join us either in person or virtually at one of the many shows that is happening at the Chain Theater now through June 25th. Make sure you head on over to ChainTheater.org and get your tickets for one of these exciting shows. And with that, please enjoy the following conversations with the artists of Chain Theater's One Act Festival. We are now welcoming two artists from the show 1900's Women Bonding. We have the playwright Catherine Weingarten and the director, Rebecca Wilson. Ladies, welcome to Whisper in the Rings from Stage Whisper. So happy that you had some time to quickly drop by. Catherine, I want to start with you and asking you to tell us a little bit about this show.
1: Yeah. So this play... It was originally a commission from this small theater company called Inversion, and they specialize in adaptations. So I was commissioned to sort of be inspired by the short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, which is all about like postpartum depression. And so I was part of a night that was out of the tank of like lots of plays inspired by that. And yeah, the play is sort of like my own take on like angsty, period piece, women-y vibes and sort of where the story brought me to. And yeah.
0: Catherine, how did you come up with the idea for the show?
1: Yes. So it was really drawn from my personal life because at the time I was having some like stomach issues and I, I was feeling, actually a doctor had sort of like over prescribed me medicine and I was like stuck in the apartment. This was actually pre-COVID, but it has a real... COVID vibe and I was sick and I was just feeling like so frustrated and so stuck but I guess because I'm like a comedic writer whenever I write things it sort of comes out trashy and comedic so I guess it's sort of dark subject matter even the original story was about like postpartum depression but where my mind goes it's just sort of like I was just thinking about these women and they're like trying so hard to pretend like everything's fine almost that feeling like when you're doing small talks, and it's like, how are you? And you can't really tell them what's happening. So I think it sort of was coming from those sort of tortured feelings.
0: Interesting. I wanna bring you in now, Rebecca, you are the director. So I'm wondering what is the message or thought you're hoping that the audience will take away from the show?
2: One thing I like about Catherine's work is it's unapologetically feminine in every angle of what being feminine means. So I hope that I hope that women come to see the show and they identify with it, but they also feel strong. And- Anyone else comes to see the show and they see that there's there's lots of unique struggles to being a woman that were once true hundreds of years ago and continue to be true now. But also that they have a laugh because it is it is very funny, even though it deals with some kind of sad things. I think that sometimes laughing through sadness is just the easiest way to get through it.
0: I'm going to slip a question in here to you real quick and ask, what has it been like developing the show?
2: It's been actually a lovely process because I just worked with Catherine doing a staged reading of one of her full-length plays, and then we went right into this one act right after. So we had already kind of been working with each other and with the same actors, and so while this is a different show, her voice and her writing is so strong. So we were able to kind of use some of the kind of workshopped ways of working through this very unique writing style um, in this play as well
0: lovely final question for this first part for both of you who do you hope have access to your show and Catherine I'm going to start with you on this
1: yes I hope well everyone has access I think in terms of people who'd be like especially intrigued I think if you like like a period moment, like if you like like a Bridgerton or like a Downton Abbey, I think you'll appreciate sort of the period vibe. And I think if you're interested in sort of theater that's talking about like mental health and like unique ways, you will definitely connect to the piece. And then I also think I'm a writer who's like playing a lot with language and I just love language and try to make it my own. So I think if you're intrigued by sort of the downtown theater scene and playwrights who are sort of play with, use language as poetry, I think you'll also be intrigued.
0: Love it. Rebecca, what about you?
2: I hope that young artists kind of at an impressionable age, you know, middle school, high school-ish, get access to the show and get to see, you know, that not everything has to be you know to kill a mockingbird or death of a salesman like there's room for all different kinds of plays and you know you are allowed to like whatever theater you enjoy
0: love that want to step aside from the show for a minute and focus on the two of you now want to start by asking you to what inspires you what shows or playwrights or composers have inspired you or some of your favorites rebecca can i start with you on that please
2: Sure. I'm a huge fan of Josh Harmon. I think he writes the funniest, rawest, truest things um, imaginable. And I'm just a sucker for any of his plays. And I'm also very inspired, not a theater person per se, but by Rachel Bloom and her uh, very
1: female-centered writing.
0: Great, great list there. Love them.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Catherine, how about you?
1: One of my earliest influences is that, Christopher Durang, and I always just love him because he has such a like dark sense of humor, and he always like can use his life and take hilarity out of like the saddest things that have ever happened in his family. And there's always some Catholic guilt and pregnancies gone wrong. So definitely him, and then another sort of Jewish. This is more Jewish-friendly influences. Wendy Wasserstein, who is just like so funny and was talking about like what it means to be like a young woman and find your voice in a time when you know theater was so male heavy and it was pretty edgy people were like what a woman's story on stage and she sort of did that which is cool
0: love those uh- Another great list. Amazing.
1: Thank
0: you. I want to jump to my favorite question now and ask you, too. What is your favorite theater memory?
2: My favorite theater memory was opening a new musical in February of 2022 because it was everyone's first show back from COVID. And some people had been on Broadway, some people had only done theater in high school and they were 20 years old. It was just a total mixed crowd, but everyone was on the same page about how exciting it was to be there.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Love that. Oh, that's amazing.
3: Mm-hmm. We,
0: we love a heartwarming story. Like yeah. Catherine, <laughs> what about you?
1: Let's see. I think one of my favorites was so I went to Ohio University for grad school and my thesis play is called This Is How You Got Me Naked. And we had, it was like a production. It was like my culminating thing of my time there. And we had like a whole, me and the director, we had like a whole panel come out on stage. I felt like it was like American Idol. And I was like so scared because they sort of ripped the other play. And then they were like way nicer to me. And then everyone was like clapping for me. And it was just like a very nice feeling because I feel like I worked my butt off to get that MFA. So I felt very recognized for my work.
0: Yes. And way to go getting that MFA. Good for you. Thank you both for those wonderful memories. Love hearing those. Are there any other productions or projects either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you?
2: Sure. I'm directing a piece with, it's Dylan Mackerel's piece in the Samuel French Short Play Fest in August, I believe. courtesy of Catherine, she's the one that kind of connected us. So come check
1: it out if you want another funny show. Yeah, this was sort of my main thing I was focused on. But if you check out my website, there's usually something trashy going on. And I also sometimes will teach classes, playwriting classes. But yeah, hopefully something interesting soon.
0: Well, that is a great segue to my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about either of you or about 1900s women bonding how can they do that how can they reach you
2: well as far as me follow me on instagram of course uh, underscore r-e-a-b-z i'm always posting about this wonderful show and anything else i'm involved in and also head over to the chain theater they'll be posting
1: about us catherine yes and i'm also on instagram i think my handle it's just so it's c-w and then my last name wine garden w-e-i-n-g-a-r T-E-N, I needed help looking how to spell that. <laughs> uh, and then I also have uh, my website, which is just Wine weingarden at squarespace.com. And yeah, Rebecca and I are around. If anyone has questions about the play, if they want <laughs> oh, to totally. read the script, we would love to keep the conversation going.
0: Wonderful. Well, Rebecca, Catherine, thank you so much for this quick rapid fire questionnaire talking to us about 1900s women bonding. I do have one last question from all of our listeners. When is the show at the Chain One Act Festival?
2: I'll take this one, Catherine. It is this Sunday at 2 p.m. Or next Wednesday, I believe, the 22nd. Or maybe it's Thursday. Yes,
1: Thursday. Sorry, (laughs)
2: next Thursday, the 22nd at 8.30 p.m.
1: And I think there might be a talkback this weekend. There is a talkback.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, we look forward to checking out 1900's Women Bonding, Sunday the 18th at 2 or Thursday the 22nd at 8.30. Catherine, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Joining us now, we've got a great team. We have the cast members of the show, A Very Nigerian Dream. We have Taiwo Aloba, Amoniki Gomez, and Neil (laughs) Foley. And I apologize for all the butchering going on. I'm usually decent with names, but not today. But thank you all so much for joining me today to talk to me about A Very Nigerian Dream. And I first want to start by asking, could you tell us a little bit about the show?
4: Okay, thank you so much. So, I'm Taiwo, I am the playwright and director for A Very Nigerian Dream. Thank you so much for having us on your show. A Very Nigerian Dream is a short play, a one-act play about the mass exodus of Nigeria's youth. It puts up a mirror to the aspirations of many Nigerians to leave the country. And it's really a great honor to show the play at the one-act festival at the Chensier
0: Very cool. Now, being a playwright, how did you come up with the idea for this? That's um, so the first, I'm Nigerian. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, um, well, most of my plays are always set in Nigeria, and they're mostly political and, and historical, but this is more recent, more present, because it's um, a, very, a very important subject to be talked about. I think we're becoming desensitized to the issues. You know, young people dying in the Mediterranean Sea, trying to you know seek a better life or greener pastures in different countries. And again, like I mentioned, like the aspirations to emigrate is you know is ingrained in the Nigerian psyche, it's almost like a Nigerian ideal now. So it really made sense to tell that story, and I'm grateful cool that you know again to be that voice. So Amuniki and
0: Neil, let me ask you: What has it been like developing the show?
4: It's been really
5: good. I am not Nigerian, so <laughs> I'm <laughs> South African.
6: So it was really interesting to, like, really dive into the character, like, the history, that backstories. We had, like, many conversations about, like, articles that we've seen about, like, what boys, like, even family members would go to just to, like, find a better world um, and, like, overseas and stuff. And so, like, I really, like, enjoy this whole process. It's so very. Thank you. <laughs> you <too. laughs> yeah for me it was kind of similar well, i think one of the best parts about this whole thing was because i'm caribbean i was born in st vincent and grew up in barbados so it was just have doing the research and understanding wow this is this is interesting like you think that you have it hard but then you you then do the research and find the things that people do on a day-to-day basis just mm-hmm. to have a better life and just to make things better for their family, them. you know, or just to simply get by. And it was just interesting going through the whole, going down the whole rabbit mm-hmm. hole of journey of, of Nigerian lifestyle mm-hmm. and their day-to-day,
0: yeah. <laughs> Taiwo, what is the message or thought you're hoping that audiences will take away from your show?
4: So most importantly, to create awareness, which I mean, that's what we love doing theater. This is like the best medium to pass a very important message so thankfully the chain theater, you know, offers like a live stream. So people from anywhere can actually watch the show. And this is create awareness about the mass exodus of Nigeria's youth, you know, the brain drain and the reasons why, you know, people would aspire to, you know, seek a better life elsewhere than in their country of birth is about identity, about friendship, about, you know, change versus tradition. There are a lot of things, you know, ingrained in the play that I hope resonates with the audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, the reception that we get from it.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Back to Amoniki and Neo. who do you hope have access to your show?
6: I know this is, this is a far stretch, but I hope Denzel Washington has access to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, I know he comes out sometimes to the theaters, you know, but I, I hope someone in his connection Uh, between him and viola davis has connection to the show
4: (laughs) (laughs) we hope everyone gets to see the show this is a very captivating story Mm -hmm. that we hope to share with as many people as you know as we can it's for everyone Mm -hmm. you know it's a very important message we're trying to pass across but yes we definitely want mr denzel what the questions Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the
0: theater (laughs) Well, as we wrap things up, are there any other productions or projects that any of you have coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug?
4: Well, you know, it's New York. There's always something going on. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually have, you know, like a Lagos festival that we're actually going to be showcasing, you know, in Queens later this year. So, yeah, we hope, you know, people can come out for that. You know, we're all about, you know, celebrating our cultures, you know, diversity, inclusivity, all of that. You know so yeah we you know we're working on projects like that to showcase our art our culture you know and just bring you know african theater you know to new york stages and you know these are really great actors we're doing <laughs> wonderful things in New York and uh, so you know please look out for us Munike, Neil, you know and Taiwan
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's a perfect lead into my final question which is if our listeners want more information about a very nigerian dream or about any of you Maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that?
4: So I will individually give our Instagram pages and maybe every other like maybe website and whatnot, but I'll go first. My Instagram page is Model Boss, so modelboss, so M-O-D-E-L-V-O-S-S, and I post about you know, the plays and every new information that comes up. You can also check out my website, com. Taiwan by T A I W O A L O B A dot com. Thank you. Please stay, save change, follow us. And then, Emily
6: K. Hi, you can check my Instagram. My Instagram, uh, I post everything about upcoming shows or just my journey. It's A M M U N I K E E and last name, Gomez, G O M E Z. Yes. My Instagram is N E O E N T L E
0: dot T last thing to slip in there when is your show playing at the one act festival
4: yes so we have our first show today june 13th <laughs> so yes we have yeah we have our first show today at eight thirty p.m june 13th and then the second show is at eight thirty p.m as well june 16th so friday and then june 24th at 2 p.m in the afternoon is our third show so we look forward to seeing you all in the theater this is not a play you want to miss trust me Mm -hmm. and this cast so talented (laughs) you have to see them trust me you don't want to be told about it so please (laughs) come to the theater thank you we look forward to seeing you (laughs) thank you
0: well Taiwo and Amuniki and Neo, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me about a very Nigerian dream. And we look forward to catching either tonight's performance Tuesday the 16th at 8.30 or Saturday the 24th at 2.30. Thank you all so much. stopping by the wonderful team with Dinner With Myself, Rachel Elmy, Christopher Brown, and Roshan Matthew. Thank you all for stopping by. to s- be here. Thank you. I want to start things off with you, Rachel. You are one of the many hats you wear is the playwright. I would want, like you to tell us a bit about your show.
3: Okay. So basically, it's about, well, the tagline is basically OCD sucks. Imagine having dinner with it. So in the play, in the play, the main character Val is trying to have a nice dinner to herself and she keeps getting interrupted by her three OCD obsessions, which are cleanliness, checking and morality.
0: I love it. I also love that tagline. That's brilliant.
3: (laughs) Thank you. How did you come
0: up with the idea for the show?
3: I, I came up with it a long time ago. I forgot exactly how I came up with it, but I remember writing it down in my little moleskin and I just I maybe because I was kind of like having a conversation with my own OCD because it basically in a way because you think of because it tells you like to do something the compulsion and then you come up with a rebuttal and they always it always has an answer for pretty much anything and that's what I'm trying to highlight with this show.
0: I love that. Let me go ahead and bring on the other two guests we have and start with you, Roshan, because you're not only the assistant director, but you're also the prop master, which is amazing, and ask, what's it been like developing this show?
7: It was fun. Like, most of the direction was done by uh, Rachel. I was just in charge of, like, making sure that, like, since Chris plays three roles, I just had to make sure that Chris can transform into all three characters at the right time between the scenes and be on stage on time so that was my role in the creation of this play I love that and and that's a great way to bring in Chris Chris you are
0: our lead actor what has it been like developing the show
8: well, it's sort of been a bit of a roller coaster, a very stable one, I hasten to add, but it happened very quickly. Like, I just got a text out of the blue from Rachel one day. We were in college together, and I was actually in a feature-length play that she put in my freshman year, her sophomore year. So then suddenly we were reuniting and talking about doing this, this one act together, and it just came together from there.
0: That's fantastic. Sticking with you, Christopher, I'd like to know what's the message or thought you hope the audiences take away?
8: Just that however challenging your OCD or other mental health issue might be, that you can claim agency over it. And there is the possibility for change and growth and healing, even if it is a real challenge, which it is. I myself have a uh, pure ocd so it's like the obsessions without the compulsions and when i was reading the script i just just struck me how humane the script is in addition to being incredibly like funny and insightful because what rachel was talking about about how ocd always has an answer i feel like a lot of people like myself included struggle with getting caught in like the trying to have a logical argument with ocd thoughts and they're not logical it isn't they will trick you into thinking that they are but they're not and so i guess i love that theme that no matter how scary it might be you know you're not alone and help is possible
0: Hmm, i like that rashaan how about you what is the messenger thought you hope audiences take away
7: this was an interesting play for me because I come from the other side of the fence, where like I have not personally experienced these things. So for me, seeing this come out in into like in a tangible form, where you know I could, it was like being inside like a person with OCD's head, like or being inside Val's head and seeing like how what, the things that they have to deal with on a daily basis. That was interesting for me, like, and I feel like the people who don't have OCD can like use this play if they are able to like see this play they can like understand and form a uh, visual understanding of how OCD works for a person with OCD maybe like again more empathy in a sense I would say but for me it was like seeing it from the outside and being like oh this is what you go through like in that way like understanding them. Rachel I want to start with you on
0: this next question who do you hope have access to the show?
7: Um Oh
3: My gosh, that was like the main thing. I hope people who have been undiagnosed can see this show so they can. It took. I'm 26 now, but it took until I was 23 to be diagnosed. And I had basically these uh, OCD my whole life, and I've had these obsessive thoughts my whole life, and I wasn't diagnosed until much later in life. And because it's so hard to explain, and it's really so. I'm hoping people. have undiagnosed people with OCD can feel more validated than they ever did before with OCD representation because a lot of the time either OCD is usually represented with men unfortunately because female representation is actually I don't think I've ever seen OCD representation in the media with women and if there is please let me know and the other thing is in the past OCD has been seen as kind of a caricature and it's really not that it's incredibly debilitating and it's really hard it can be kind of funny to talk about which i'm trying to like portray here but overall it's it's just terrible and i hope some people can feel validated and that the same thing that roshan was saying about how people who don't have it can actually see it in a more tangible way and um, and understand the condition more
0: that's fantastic i want to step away from the show for a minute now and just focus on the three of you I want to ask my favorite question to you three, which is, what is your favorite theater memory?
8: In sixth grade, I played King Duncan in a production of Macbeth at the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. It was our sixth grade class activity. And I remember getting up on stage during my entrance. I like this was my, you know, big debut in the role. So I strode out in there and I very conscientiously sat back down in the throne, the head, and I bonked my head very audibly on the prop. <laughs> and so there's just an instant of like, oh God, everyone saw that. And so then I just said, curse this chair. And the whole theater uh, burst into laughter. So <laughs> yeah, I so love all, um, improvisation is a wonderful skill to practice. Yes.
0: I love that. Who would like to go next?
3: I have a whole collection of favorite theater memories. Oh, my goodness. I've loved theater my whole life, basically. But the moment I probably really, like, understood how good theater can be was when I went to the Bushnell, which is this theater in Hartford, Connecticut, and I saw The Lion King. And I really, right there, understood how powerful theater could be. I was in the fifth grade, and my little mind was just completely blown it was completely blown and kind of tying into that I would uh, being in theater my whole life when I was about nine I was upset that I was never cast in like my summer camp or school theater role I was never cast as the role as the lead role now I now I less act I more write I prefer to write but my main idea was I want if nobody else is going to give me a lead role I'm going to give it to myself and that's how we started writing plays. And now I kind of just prefer that, even though being an actress with, with Val is really good because obviously we are very similar, so.
0: Love that. Oh, we love a great Lion King-inspired story, though.
3: Lion King's great.
7: Bringing us home, Roshan. Yes, like uh, growing up, I don't think like I participated much in theater other than maybe once once a year for like either like church activities or like school activities probably so like I wouldn't have like childhood memories to go with it but if I had to pick one right now off the top of my head it would be going and seeing Funny Girl in New York. I was I think the first play that I went to that I was like wow they can, you can do so much with it and I saw it with Julie Benko and she was amazing too so like I think that and the thing I, I feel like is like being so close to it because the other shows that I'd gone to before were like far back and funny girl was the one I got in the seats in the front too. So I was like second row orchestra. So that was like amazing to watch. And I think that was like the experience that I would put forward. That is amazing. Oh,
0: love that. All of those memories were fantastic. What a great variety. Thank you all for that. Are there any other projects or productions that any of you have coming up that we might be able to plug for you?
3: yes i am continuing to write plays i'm actually i was in the train last night and i actually came up with the idea for like that i'm hoping to perform for like the next one act festival that i'm hoping to do so please keep keep me in mind i am hoping to form that and i am hoping to always have something lined up eventually i'm still starting out in the new york scene even though i did do two two shows in college but I'm hoping that'll come down the pipeline so just keep keep me in mind I
9: guess
8: (laughs) well nothing concrete yet but this weekend I started production on a new short film I'm a filmmaker and screenwriter by trade and so though it was fantastic this experience has been fantastic to like you know in a professional setting be on the, that other side of that creative divide and be an actor there. So I feel like that was, this has been a great experience, but just keep your eyes peeled, I guess.
0: Finally, if our listeners want more information about Dinner With Myself or about any of you, perhaps who would like to reach out to you. How can they do that?
3: Okay, so my Instagram handle is at Rachel. That's E L M Y r-a-c-h-a-e-l and that's my personal that's my personal instagram account and my the the, uh, play also has an instagram it's all lowercase it's at dinner underscore with underscore myself underscore play so i hope more people can see that and i hope and people want to reach out to me people especially people who who have ocd i would love to hear from you
8: you can find me on Instagram at Christopher Brown film and you can check out my website at Christopher Brown dot
0: Wonderful. My final question is when are the performances of dinner with myself?
3: Oh my goodness. Okay. So the next one is tomorrow night at eight please see it. We are the first ones up. And the last one will be at 2pm on Sunday, June twenty fifth. So please be there. We will also be available virtually. I know that the Chain Theater has a link for that. But yeah.
0: Well, roshan rachel and christopher thank you so much for joining me today to talk about dinner with myself we look forward to seeing it on wednesday june 14th at 8 or sunday the 25th at 2 thank you all so much joining us here jericho blue who is the playwright and director of the show christian ethics committee jericho welcome in to whisper in the wings and stage whisper thanks for stopping by thanks for having me i'm honored to be here oh bless you that's amazing i I appreciate that (laughs) so we're talking about your show at the chain theaters one act festival christian ethics committee could you start by telling us a little bit about this
10: yeah, so this is obviously a one act that takes place in the late 1980s during the satanic panic hysteria in the South. And so basically an agnostic family moves into a southern Christian community, and they just these group of ladies decide to make a propaganda video that scares people and informs them of how their children's, you know, lives and well-being can be at stake when this family challenges the Christians system so they get together to make this propaganda video and disperse it amongst their christian community
0: (laughs) we love a good satanic panic show you
10: know how did you come up with the
0: idea for the show
10: yeah so i was watching the documentary a couple of years ago hail satan and it just kind of like re-brought up all of my frustrations of growing up gay in the South and the hypocrisy with that. And I had been looking for a long time to kind of facilitate my thoughts on Christian hypocrisy. And so this just kind of came about and it gave me an opportunity to, you know, tap into my thoughts with that and also use a moment in history to facilitate that. And
0: love that. So building on that what's the message or thought you hope that the audience will take away from this
10: Yeah so I noticed a lot of liberal people are coming to see it and that's great and everything but I hope that I hope that it does challenge somebody I hope that somebody does come in there that's like conservative Christian and and the thought that I want to propose is there's always this other Christian when it comes time to talk about gay rights or or talk about anything that the Christian community is doing that's oppressive to the gay community, especially with family members, there's always this idea of this fictitious other Christian and the excuse is, well, they're not a real Christian. They're doing that. And I feel like that's always the excuse that makes people removed from the situation and not responsible. So what I wanna do with this show is I hope that somebody gets to see it and they're like okay like these are people that are acting within our community so what are parallels that I can look to that and you know the current LGBT struggle especially with drag being banned and our trans brothers and sisters being policed constantly and killed and so how can the you know, Christian community see that and be like, great, I need to be on the other side of this. So yeah, I hope that happens. I know it's a big ask, but (laughs) you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So I know it doesn't sound like it, but for all the viewers out there, it is a comedy.
0: Well, that leads me to my next question and you've kind of answered it a little bit, but who do you hope have access to the show? I want...
10: Southerners to see it. I like the diverse group of people from even week one that have come in to see it between age groups and races and ethnicities. But on the 25th at 5 PM, we do have a live stream date. And I, you know, am reaching out to people all over and I hope the Southern community gets to see that because it is written in their voice. And I do want people to be challenged by it. I want to expose the hypocrisy to that. But I also want people to see it and go, ah, I see, I know what that looks like. And to continue further and searching into, you know, what happened to the... Satanic panic movement. And there's so much correlation with that right now. That's what's happening all over the country. So, yeah, I hope people connect that. So, yeah, the
0: short answer is the South.
10: I hope the South sees it.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to switch gears now and I want to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better and start by asking you what inspires you? What shows, playwrights, composers inspire you or some of your favorites?
10: Yeah, I'm really in a big Samuel D. Hunter phase right now. I got to understudy for his play, The Few, back in Chicago like seven years ago and really fell in love with that play. And then like my partner- fell in love with it as well when Darren Aronofsky was doing The Whale so we went and blubbered our faces out to that so we also run a queer book club every month and so one month we decided to read like his collection of plays so now i'm just like 3 plays away from being done and what i love about his work is i i see how i take influences of that they're all kind of around the same place in the United States and the characters are you know working class people those kinds of stories but touches on various different social issues but through that lens of where he grew up and I you know I'm very inspired by that and also I really like the work of Noah Heidel because I feel like this is maybe one of my most grounded pieces the satanic cult one act i do tend to work in magical realism and you know campy styles so yeah those two are some of my some of my faves
0: i love those it's a great list what is your favorite part about working in the theater
10: I love the immersive aspect. I love that collectively with a group of human beings for relatively 90 minutes to two hours, you get to see something real. You know, with film, you you can go to various different places and, and, and watch the film and it's the same every time. But, you know, for this 90 minutes, it's it's just that moment that's going to happen. And I love that. There's something about... Film is very much a window is open and you're looking into that window, but theater is getting to be in the room, which is fantastic. So I love seeing a person go through an emotional journey. I love being in the room during that emotional journey. Total cliche theater answer, but like, I love the human experience that I'm getting to have and it makes me closer with people.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is a beautiful answer. No cliche at all. We love the good (laughs) human experience. We never want to be without it again. And speaking of good human experiences, we've arrived at my favorite question to ask, which is what is your favorite theater memory? Oh,
10: man. I love theater to where I'm going in with no expectations and then I am just flipping caught off guard. And I remember one time I visited New York before I lived here and I was with a, a group of people and just like, we just could not get tickets to anything. And this was before my obsession with Lori Metcalf involved. And I we randomly were like, fine, let's see this thing. And it ended up being Shar White's The Other Place. And it just it was one of those moments to where like I left and I think me, my partner and our group of friends just like didn't speak for 20 minutes, just because it was so brilliantly written, the performances worked well together. The whole twist about her having Alzheimer's and we're seeing a play through the perspective of somebody with Alzheimer's when halfway through the play, you think she's just an erotic ass. Yeah, it was just so well done and it caught me by surprise. So like, I think about that play a lot when I'm writing my own things of like, have I given away the surprise? Have we built up to the surprise? Because I want there to be this surprise if it's obvious from the beginning it's it's taken away that magical moment so yeah that one's going to stick with me for a while
0: i love that thank you for sharing that memory that's wonderful of
7: course
0: are there any other productions or projects you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you
10: Yeah, so Vivid Stage next month is doing a reading of my play, Hissy Fits, which is about a Southern woman 90-minute solo show. They're having a reading as a part of their summer solo series. So yeah, they're going to be reading my play, and it's about a woman over the course of 30 years that, you know, reevaluates her conservative beliefs when she starts raising a gay son. And currently right now, my play, The Kids Are Seeing Lavender, is a part of the ripped festival at american blues theater so it'll be available for the month on their digital libraries yeah so that's what i got going on (laughs)
0: very cool finally if our listeners want more information about christian ethics committee or about you maybe they'd like to reach out to you how can they do that yeah
10: jerichoblue.com been paying for that domain name for a while so please go and use it and that is j-e-r-i-c-o-b-l-e-u.com and yeah
0: one last question when is christian ethics committee playing at Chains one act theater festival yes
10: our second Second show will be this Thursday, the fifteenth at six, and then our final performance will be the twenty fifth at five. And there are also live stream tickets available for that performance.
0: Perfect, Jericho. Thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us. Wonderful show. Greatly appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing Christian Ethics Committee either this Thursday the 15th of june at 6 p.m or sunday the 25th of june at 5 p.m so thank you yeah
10: sounds good i will have gorgeous postcards so come on down (laughs)
0: great guests now joining us from the show Vacation. We have the director Brendan Clifford and the writer and actor Nathan Johnson. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for stopping by.
5: (laughs) Thank you so much for having us Bye. What an honor to be here.
0: Oh thank you so much. This has been a fun day of just rapid fire one after the other. It's it never ends and I'm loving it. And I'm so excited to learn more about your show. And so, Nathan, I want to start with you and
11: have you tell us a little bit about this show, Vacation. Well, I would be delighted to. This is how I think of it. It's a, it's a queer spy versus spy fantasy where two husbands plan a remote getaway vacation, each unaware that the other has hatched a plot to murder him
0: oh my gosh, I am on board with this 100%. This is incredible. How did you come up with the idea for the show?
11: I love true crime. And my mom and I, were. I, whenever I visit my mother, we watch every true crime you can imagine. And we were watching this one, and the solution was so simple. The solution was so simple for this one couple. Just end your marriage. But the, of course they didn't. They went to these the the husband like went to this complex like plan to like just do off with the wife and then i thought that's so ridiculous and that's exactly what the richest of the rich would do because why in god's name would a simple solution be so easy so my mind spiraled and thus was born this play
0: <laughs> i love it i want to bring in our director now brendan and oh. ask you know what has it been like developing this great show
5: Oh, it's a blast I mean it's such a fun concept and premise to work from and such a wonderful script and you know I mean just trying to figure out how these how these two people can can destroy each other while also sort of maybe maintaining each other has <laughs> been a lot of fun
0: Kind of building on that, Brendan, is there a message or thought you're hoping that the audience will take away from the show?
5: Be rich. Being rich is super fun. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Although I don't think we really, we don't, we don't get luxuriate in their wealth all that much, but I guess a message to take away is, I don't know, let's have a laugh because there's that, you know, I could say, don't kill each other, or I could say, find the person that you want to kill and don't (laughs) every day (laughs) to choose not to kill someone is really the most beautiful love letter you can write them. (laughs) But yeah, I don't, I don't have a message for it, except we had a laugh and we want you to.
0: I love that. I love that. I want to kind of wrap up this portion about the show by asking you to, who do you hope have access to the show? And Nathan, I want to start with you on that.
11: I would say, because my, my, in, in, what, in what he just said, the whole reason I wrote this play was so people would laugh. That's the whole reason I created it. I think we need laughter more than anything. So who do I hope will access this, especially right now in these heaviest, heaviest, heaviest of times? Anybody who just wants to laugh, who wants to get sucked into the absurdity of this world and just laugh laugh at other people when you, when you don't have the strength to laugh at yourself and laugh at other people who want you to laugh at them. When you don't have the strength to laugh at some of the things that are happening in the world, come join us and laugh. That's, that's what I want. Let's spread joy. Let's be contagious in laughter. Yes.
0: We can say the, those words again. We want to be contagious in laughter. It's safe to say that. <laughs> the one
11: thing you want to catch. Yes. A sense of humor. <laughs>
5: Brendan, what about you? Who do you hope have access? I mean, you know, it's oh it's so great to be able to do a queer play, you know, with other, you know we have an entirely queer team, and that's, you know, always thrilling to get to do that. And so of course, I would say I would like queer people to have access and desire to come see it and be available on our few chances they can see it. But it's so relatable, you know, to any anyone in a relationship at all. So I think, I don't even want to specify that I I hope it's that because I hope I hope queer people can go see anything they want to see whether it is about that or not or you know with queer characters but you know everyone I don't what do other people say to this question Yeah the target audience is people who want to see a, a comedy play in a new play festival some people who like new work and want to see something fun and new but yeah and, and also everyone who doesn't want to see it <laughs> I want them to have access also. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, changing lanes now, I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking you two, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you, or some of your favorites? And Nathan, I'm going to start with you again on this question.
11: You know, I, I love my, my my dear friend and mentor, Charles Bush, will inspire me till. The, the moon and back, you know, not only in his work, but in the 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 advice and mentorship he's given me through the, the time I've known him. He's a huge inspiration to me. I'm constantly, ins- I, I, I love, I'm a big lover of musicals. I love Kinky Boots. I love Waitress, which I find extremely interesting because I hated the movie. And then I watched the play, the, the musical, and I was like, my whole world shifted in one moment because I went in there expecting not to like it because I hated the movie. But then when they put that magic twist on it, I feel like it finally was what it was supposed to be. And it changed my kind of my my world and my vision and, and, my, and my sight on things. You know, I love, I love anything that's willing to, I love anything that finds heart in in it. And I love, I love things. I'm talking full lengths, you know, mainly, but I love anything that also isn't afraid to work with elements of the absurd or the unexpected. You know, I, I love that. I'm very, very inspired by things that aren't afraid to think or look differently.
0: I love, love all of that. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Brendan, what about you?
5: I mean how do i follow that answer you know my my dear friend edward albee has always been an inspiration you know just <laughs> i don't i don't have a one to one for that but i know i'm a huge lover of musicals also and that the they the, they're um the constant inspiration of course but i don't know i grew up reading like edward albee and christopher durang and Tom Stoppard and and those were the first people that I produced and directed as well their play is not you know I wasn't responsible for their careers but I did my own little productions <laughs> but you know I don't know I'm inspired by by the people I work with by the people around me you know I can name a list of writers and directors and but it's I'm inspired by by life it's I don't know that you how do you distill why you like do theater you just have a you just have a little Fire, a specific little fire, and it it burns forever. So that that inspires me.
0: I love that. Well, what is your favorite part of working in the theater? And Brendan, I'm going to start with you on this
5: one. Oh, the money! It's definitely the money. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's. I think it's creating something that's alive. You know, I worked a lot in TV and movies as well, but there's something that is just so, you know, kinetic and in the moment when you do theater. It has to be, obviously, by its nature. And I think building something that is always breathing and changing, reg- even when it's set, even when it's finished, is very exciting. And that's one of many, many things I love about it. But that's the first thing I could think to put into
11: words. I love that.
0: Love that. Nathan how about you
11: for me it's one thing and it's always been the same it's community Mm -hmm. it's not just the community of human beings that I get to share that experience with but it's the community of human beings that get to come in and be a part of that journey and every night whoever's in that room with us the show is always unique and individual because of them where did they laugh? Do they talk back at our show? Do like Our show's getting a lot of verbal talk back during the show, mm-hmm. which I think is the heart of comedy and the heart of theater. They're in it, they're shouting back at us. And it's not a show that like says shout back, it doesn't have the bouncing ball of Hedwig. Do you know what I mean? That encourages you to sing along, but they are shouting back at us. And it's change, it changes the show. It it adds an energy, it it's, gives it a life that will never be like the life it could have on our next show this upcoming Saturday. And then it can never have the life it'll have on our our final show the the next week. And that's only the result of community, of human beings. Theater can, film, film can exist, of course, with human beings, but then it can go on without human beings. Theater forever needs a group of human beings, just always, forever for it to exist. And it's the community of it that I think, I think in my entire life, I've always been seeking community. And I think a lot of us as queers do that because there's so, you know, in parts of our life, you know, early on, depending on where we grew up and whether or not people were open to difference, you know, we find ourselves on the outside. So for me, it's all my, my whole journey. And I think, you know, everything I write, there's that, that seeking aspect of it, you know, and I think theater is one of the only places where you can so viscerally have community and almost have it so fast because we all come to it for the same reason. We all come to it with wide open hearts to create, to make, and you're, you're entering a world of family from the first moment you meet, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
11: Two great answers.
0: <laughs> and that leads me to my favorite question to ask, which is, what is your favorite theater memory?
11: You You know what? I'll do it. I'll do a two part answer. And again, and it's such a huge question, but sometimes the right answer is the first one that comes into your mind. I remember sitting in a theater, seeing a high school production of little shop of horrors and my whole world exploded. Mm. I knew that that's, I knew that in one way or another, that 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 was supposed to be my world and that I wasn't supposed to be trapped in, 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 in the, the situation I was trapped in with, you know, being the, being the queer kid who can't hide you know when I I saw this and I was like there's a world for me that's it I want to be those people I want to live that life and then not long after you know they took us to see Cats and when I saw Cats it was my first time in New York City and it was my first show that wasn't like at this high school and It just changed my, it just changed my mindset and changed the way that I looked at and saw the world and saw what, what we could do and we could create. And I'll, I'll be honest, playwriting came late to me. You know, my, I started going to my whole training as an, as an actor, playwriting came late, but I think so far my, my, my greatest experience has been the one that we're working on now because it's the very first time that my words I'm ever seeing in front of an audience And my goal, my dream was to write work for myself to be in and with the help of, you know, this brilliant director who's looking and changing and seeing different perspectives and angles I'm, I'm able to step into for the there's only one first time for all of us in everything right, and this is my first it's my first I'm in my words in something that I envisioned that's become something that it never couldn't have could have been without this brilliant creative team that I'm so fortunate you know w- William um, Ryle who's so such a brilliant actor it's costumed by David Brooks his husband who's a three-time Emmy winner and nine-time nominee you know I'm just surrounded by this amazing team and 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 we've got Brendan who is written for just such an iconic and hysterical tv show and has such brilliant vision and my very first is surrounded by these beautiful people i'll never forget it i love that that's that's awesome that is absolutely fantastic
5: brendan back to you i mean god i guess for me it's the same same answer. No, it, same answer. Yes. But also I think it really is when I directed the first play I directed is really, I mean, at least in the thinking in the context of this, where I am directing the first play I directed was Edward Albee's The American Dream. And it was just the most exciting experience getting to you know, the delight of putting that together and you know finding my way as a director for the first time in a play that I I really felt like I I got whether I did or not who 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 knows but uh it and it because I'm directing a comedy now with Nathan and because that was a, that's a comedy they they both have absurd elements and it just makes me go right back there to that time so 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 long ago uh that really made me feel like you know this is this is not like nothing else that I've seen before and like nothing else I've done before. And it was just, you know, you're, you're really young and you're so excited about everything. And then you, th- you find something that just strikes you and you strike back and a spark happens. And I don't know, that's, that's the one that are getting, getting a burned DVD of all the existing footage of the original production of Follies, one of those two. <laughs>
0: love that (laughs) both of you great memories thank you so much for sharing those are there any other projects or productions either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug
5: nothing ready for a plug yet but always always things in the works
11: i do have one the the full-length version of this play has been selected for development at the magnetic theater in asheville north carolina so that'll be happening in, in January with the with the full length.
0: That's amazing. Congrats.
11: Thanks. I'm, I'm excited about it.
0: Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about vacation or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that?
11: Well, I'm Nathan Walnut on all the socials. So I'm just Nathan Walnut, no spaces. Nathan and Walnut as in the nut.
5: <laughs> as in the nut. Nathan the nut. I'm a Brendan Please, B-R-E-N-D-A-N, Please, like Brendan Please, on all the socials, oh, to the two that I'm on.
0: And last question, when is Vacation playing at the Chained One Act Festival?
11: It's two more shows. There is this coming Saturday at 8 p.m., and then there is the following Wednesday at 8.30 p.m.
0: Well... Nathan Brendan, thank you so much for joining me and talking to me about the vacation. We look forward to hopefully catching it either Saturday, June seventeenth at eight or wednesday june twenty first at eight thirty. So thank you both so much. Joining us, we have the amazing director, Kalina Co., who is coming to speak to us about her show at the Chain One Act Festival, Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos. Kalina, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper.
12: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for making the time to speak with us. I am really interested in knowing more about this show. Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos. Done. All right, gotta know more about this. <laughs> New flavor at Starbucks.
12: No, I'm kidding. Could you tell us a little bit more about this show? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, like you, the title just caught my attention right away when uh, my friend Laura sent it over to me. But it is basically a play about these two friends who are meeting up over Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos at your local, um, we'll say your local mainstream hipster coffee shop. Fill in your own title there. And they are meeting over to Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos to just talk about their life, catch up. But one actually wants to break up with the other or break up their friendship with the other. And so it's about the drama of that and how friends can support each other even in their most difficult times.
0: Oh, I love that. Now, what has it been like developing this work as the director?
12: Yeah, it's been really fun. It's one of those pieces I think that is so dependent on the actors because it's just a two-hander. It's just the two of them talking, sometimes screaming at each other for about 10 minutes. And so it's so dependent Dependent on the personality and the chemistry of our two actors who are fantastic. And they're Sae Brompe and Lennox Strong, And they just, the two of them have never worked together before. And I'd worked with each of them individually, but it was really lovely to see the two of them click into these characters and figure out the individual quirks. And so I think developing, developing this piece has just been about working with them and figuring out how to make the language and the play and the characters just feel as natural and as connected and grounded to these actors as possible. So it's been a much more collaborative process than a lot of other uh, experiences I've been in.
0: Love that. Is there a message or a thought you hope that the audience takes away from this?
12: Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's like more of a question than than a particular message. I think if it leaves audiences mulling over, you know, what, like, how do we, how do we interact with and ask for and provide like support to our friends, even when our own like emotional bucket is at a minimum, right? Like how do we figure out how to be there for each other and ask for help from each other when we're all struggling collectively? I think that's that's what I'd love audiences to, to think about when they leave. Hmm.
0: I like that. And who do you hope have access to the show?
12: You know, I think it, I, I mean, everyone loves to say that their play is universal and i think that's true for most plays i do think that this piece for for me has really resonated with me personally sort of as i moved to a new city a year ago and like really started embarking on my own professional career a year ago and and understanding sort of what it means to build a, a, a social support network and an emotional support network and so i think this piece in particular will hopefully really resonate with folks that are you know for whatever reason whether it be what a stage in their life, whether it be a big move, a big change in their life are in a place where they're thinking about what it means to build a strong communicative and supportive social network and what that power of friends to put it in a cheesy manner can do for a person's life.
0: I love that. Thanks. I want to pivot now a little bit away from the show, let our audience get to know you a little bit better and start by sure. asking you What or who inspires you, like playwrights, composers, or shows? Maybe some. Yeah,
12: you know, not. I I think the reason why I do theater has always been uh, my parents. Actually, they don't do theater. They did barely knew what theater was until I I told them I wanted to be in a play, and then they were like where did you learn this word from? But they are immigrants and English is their second language. And so I grew up with sort of a very literal, but also like a cultural sort of communicative barrier. And I think a lot about how theater just has so many different languages to it. There's the the literal language that we speak, but there's also like a design language to it and a movement piece to it. And there's all these different interpretations. And I think a lot about how theater gives us a chance to, you know, discuss in community because we're all watching the same thing for X amount of minutes, X amount of hours. And at the end of it, hopefully, I think a good piece of theater will invite you to keep talking about it. That's why I think I always love to, love for my message for shows, as it were, to be questions instead of statements. I think I want to invite audiences in to keep talking. And so, yeah, that that genesis sort of comes from my parents and a desire to, to talk to them and connect with them.
0: That's fantastic. Building on that, what is your favorite part about working in the theater?
12: Yeah, the community. I think I think so many of us, I mean, I remember like being in high school and still trying to like figure out what it meant to be a high schooler and like a child and, and all of my friends, but like the, the community of theater, the like freneticness of like a tech week and being exhausted and like leaving the theater at night with my friends and like having stage makeup on and Going to I don't know the local Wendy's or something. Just that like community element of like, you know, bonding with these folks and creating something with them together. Yeah, for me, it's always been the like fun of of generating with good people who just want to like see what we can play with and put together on stage. And so, I think theater is all about the fun and the community for me.
0: That's amazing. I <laughs> as we go down memory lane. <laughs> Let me ask my favorite sure. question, which is, "What is your favorite theater memory?"
12: Mm, that's a great question. What is my favorite theater memory? Well, the first show I ever saw was Wicked in Boston. I saw the like Wicked tour, and I think that I mean that's where I learned what theater was. And then my parents had to deal with the consequences of it afterwards. And I was like, I remember like being in the balcony, and I think like we brought like binoculars so we could see better. Like it was like very much like nosebleed seats and like watching like tiny little people on stage dancing around just because we we're so far away. But I still remember the like spectacle and just like the feeling of awe in it. And yeah, I think that spectacle never went away from me. And they and I love my little like two-handed naturalist plays, but the just the spectacle of a big musical will always stick with me. That's a big one. And then the other the other like big memory for me is I worked on a new play called Untitled Fuck Miss Saigon. But this play by Kimberly, I worked on like developing it and it was I have many feelings around Miss Saigon the musical, but that play as a response to that musical was just like so validating for me as a all of the things I felt about my place in this canon and my place as, a, as an Asian American woman in this canon and representation. So I ended up writing my college thesis on that play too, which was really fun. Are there any other
0: projects or productions you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you?
12: Sure. Well, I've got a couple of things coming up at the end of June. I actually am working with Roundabout on the Refocus project, talking about API Theater, and we have one more play coming up on June, June 26 at 7 p.m. and it's a free reading of Belina Hsu Houston's Tea that is just really beautiful and like, really well grounded in historical, a historical moment, but also, like, talks a lot about sort of the intersection of race and immigration and military in fascinating ways. So that is happening on the 26th. And the next day, I have a reading at Club Sum about a totally different topic that is called Rescues, written by the fantastic playwright, Key, and is about rescue dogs and how rescue dogs maybe rescue us too in our most difficult moments so two very different flavors for you both are free and both will be delightful I think I love that oh <laughs> I'm so happy I know it's really a, such a tender play I love it <laughs> well
0: as we wrap up if our listeners want more information about pink unicorn frappuccinos
12: or about you perhaps you would like to reach out to you how can they do so yeah. Um, well, we have plenty of information on pink unicorn frappuccinos through the chain website, but I am also on uh, posting about it all on Instagram and through, I guess my, I should give you my handle in that case. I'm on Instagram and my handle is KKO1417. And also I have a website that's just my name and you can find out more about me and my projects and pink unicorn frappuccinos there.
0: Finally, when is Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos being performed at the Chain One Act Festival?
12: Yes, we just had our first performance on Sunday. It went really well, I think. But we have two more on the 23rd and the 24th. The one on the 23rd is at 6.30 and the one on the 24th is at 8 p.m. And if you use our code PINK, you can get a discount. So, you know, who doesn't love a discount? Well, Kalina, thank you so much for
0: taking the time to stop by and talk to us today about this great show, Pink Unicorn Frappuccinos, which we hope to stop by and see Friday, June 23rd at 6.30 or Saturday, June 24th at 6. And I love that you dropped that discount code PINK for us to be able to get cheaper tickets. So thank you so much.
12: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Andrew. Thank you.
0: have stopping by the fun time factory here at Stage Whisper Kyle C Mumford who is the writer of the new show Shrimp Pudding and the lead actress in the show Madison Ritter. Welcome welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. So glad you have been able to stop by and chat with us albeit briefly but we're happy to
9: have you. (laughs) Thanks for having us.
0: Happy to be here. I'm intrigued by this show. We just got done talking about pink unicorn frappuccinos. Now we're moving on to the next course, shrimp (laughs) pudding. I mean, this is turning out to be an interesting lunch. And I want to start with you, Kyle, by having you tell us a bit about what this show, Shrimp Pudding, is about.
9: Sure. And a quick pitch, I could say that the show is about minutes before walking down an aisle. An indecisive bride has an unexpected run-in with her her ex-boyfriend who happens to be a caterer at the wedding. It rehashes the past, unanswered questions that come to light on a chapter that hasn't quite closed. And the play really dives deep into the tear between the heart and the mind. Two good things that just can't, you know, as love is, you know, just very much, you know, that con- constant, like, back and forth. So, yeah, in summation, in a nutshell, that's what the play is. But, uh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea for the show? Oh, God. Well, it started as an eight-page play, like a really short play that some based off something that actually happened to me. I had been with somebody years ago who wanted to be more serious, and I was afraid of commitment. And we ended up not working out. And I was banging my head against the wall, so upset about it that I had this huge fear of commitment. And eventually I put it all down on paper and I put it in a showcase that I was in and it got a really well-received response. And after that, it just kind of stirred in me of what to do with this eight-page play and I wanted to do more. And then last summer, my sadly, my uncle passed away and he was someone who who, you know, he could have lived so much more and experienced life so much more than he actually did. He had a lot of ailments that held him back mentally. And, and he it inspired me of like how much someone doesn't take advantage of the life they live they, or they want to live. And so from last summer till now, I've just been writing constantly and I made it into kind of a one act 45 minute play. And I got to share an earlier draft of it at the Actor studio, a playwright and director's unit, which I'm a proud member of and really happy about. And it got a very interesting response there. And then it led me to where I am here today. And we got a great cast and I'm super excited about it. Madison is amazing in the lead and really, really hones into the honesty of the lead, Connie.
0: Well, that is a great way to bring in Madison. Madison, our leading actress, what has it been like developing the show?
13: I actually haven't been with it for super long. It's been a really quick process. Uh, Our director, Matt Gervanu, is a dear friend of mine. And he called me, I think, two weeks before we started rehearsals Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we need someone to play connie and i think that you'd be a good fit you know she is someone with a nervous stomach who loves a person named james and i am also a person with a nervous stomach who loves someone named james who is a a very easy easy role to to kind of see myself in
0: i love that what are the odds that everything (laughs) that that literally life is imitating art So what is the message or thought that you're hoping the audience takes away from the show, Madison?
13: I think, you know, what really stood out to me the first time I read the play and that I, I, I think is really special about it is the size of the heart in it. You know, it's a play that is about love and loss and grief and all of these really heavy things, but it still has its moment of levity. And it's, you know, there's a lot of hurt in the play, but no one's the bad guy. And you know that you're not always going. Even if you're the person experiencing being hurt by someone else, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are always. You know, there's two sides to every story, and this play really cares about its characters in a way that's that's really special.
0: Oh, that's fabulous!
9: Mm -hmm. I was just gonna say. I mean, Madison was right on the money with it. You know, it, it it it's something when I when I wrote it, I just wanted. To show all sides of these characters, you know, and, you know, because life to me is not just drama. It's not just comedy, but it's everything. And this situation that these two characters are put in show showcase all these colors and, you know, love the trepidation of love marriage, commitment, you know, compromise and in, in grief, loss. And just, you know, I think that's the thing is I tried to be very transparent about it. And I think so far people have been seeing, been relating to that because, you know, we are humans, we experience so much. And I just, with anything with writing, is just trying to get that across. And I think that's been clear. So
0: it's been cool. Who do you hope have
9: access to the show? Kyle, I'm going to start with you on that. I would say, it sounds a little cliche saying it, but I, I do believe it is the millennial generation, our generation, because I think we, you know, that that's what made me connect with the chain theater so much. It was just, you know, voices of a, of a uh, newer era of, you know, people who I think our generation, you know, we think so deeply about things. And that's one thing about this play is that it, it gets to a, a very depth level, you know, there's multiple layers in it of like, I talked about love and marriage and grief. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, the audience of like, who, who am I marrying? Why am I marrying this person? And we're just a very, very deep, deep thinking generation, in my opinion. And so that's kind of the general audience I like to, to aim for. Yet again, I, as everybody says it, I do believe that, you know, this play touches many generations, but particularly when I wrote it, it was for our generation. Love that.
0: Mm-hmm. Madison, what about you?
13: I I do think I agree. I think it has, I think I'm, I'm going to say the same as Kyle, that yeah. it's kind of about that sort of turning point, right? Where you're leaving your young adulthood and kind of heading into the next part of your life and sort of choosing to let go of the things that came before. And I think, you know, being at the same age as this character, it's you, there's always going to be those things in your past and like that, that first love or that first thing that is always going to like live in the back of your mind somewhere and kind of learning how to process it and move forward into a, a life that serves you better.
0: Oh, I like that as well. <laughs> well, I want to change lanes now and let our audience get to know you two a little bit better, and I want to start by asking you both what are who inspire you? Playwrights, composers, shows, you know, what are some of your favorites? And Madison, if I can start with you on this one
12: first.
13: Oh goodness. Well, in addition to being an actor, I'm also a playwright and a director, and the two that just live full-time in my heart I love Marie Irene Fornes and uh Federico Garcia Lorca are this the that they they also write about big feelings and and trying new things and uh yeah those are those are my two
9: and Kyle yeah you know I I love the the work of Duncan M- M- McMillan you know lungs especially I mean he's somebody who just breaks the wall, breaks the walls down of traditional theater. And, you know, as someone coming from the film world, screenwriting world into theater, you know, I I just love like a different perspective of things. And I love what he does. I also huge, really into Tracy Letts and also Annie Baker, the flick, which is such, you know, so such talks about tendernesses of love and especially movies, of course. But those are really uh, a few playwrights that really do inspire me.
0: Fabulous. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Kyle, let's have you
9: kick this off. (laughs) Oh, fun. I, 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 the thing about it that I love, I'm super dyslexic and, you know, it's always hard to put your thoughts and your words on paper sometimes. And I think reading plays and, And just getting the dialogue down is just so much fun for me. And it really kind of helped bridge that gap of of struggle a little bit. And I love it when I'm able to get those words clearly down the dialogue and giving it to an actor and they take it in one completely direction and then giving it to another actor. And they take it in a different direction. And they show different layers of character you never thought were there. And that process is one of my favorite things to do. Just having different actors bring their own spin on things and elevating your work and making you look good. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, you know, casting is like 90% of it, in my opinion. But that process right there and, you know, with different actors taking your work is in, in. performing it aloud is the best part for me. Love that. Madison, what about you?
13: Oh man. Well, Kyle got to go first on that one. Cause I, it's, it's the same <laughs> thing. You know, you start off with this little, this little popcorn kernel of an idea somewhere in your brain and then something pops and you're like, I have to write this thing down. So then you, you write something and it's this like little world that only belongs to you that lives in the secret little space between you and your laptop and then all of a sudden you're like okay I'm ready to put this to someone so you give it to a director and then the director takes it and says did you know that this is in here and this is in here and you're like no, it was my perfect little world. And they're like, oh, well, this is what I see about your perfect little world. And then the director takes it and gives it to the actors and the designers. And then the actors and the de- designers say, oh, well, this is in this world and this is in this world and all of these other things. And all of a sudden, you know, this little tiny popcorn cradle has become this beautiful, multi layered collaborative thing that doesn't belong to you anymore, that it belongs to this like, wonderful group of different artistic minds and there's something just so wonderful about that and you know it really connects everyone in the process in a way that i don't think anything else really does
0: i love that that's a great way both of you great way to describe the community of theater so well done (laughs) thanks we've now come to my favorite question to ask guests which is what is your favorite theater memory
13: I mean, you know, I I I could go on and on for days, but it's funny. I had a different one, but it, it's funny that you brought up the flick and something that I always think about. And one of my my favorite memories, I got to see the original cast of the flick. And I love, you know, Annie Baker's writing has so much space in it. You know, the, the script mm-hmm. is this big and it's a two and a half hour play. And at one point during the middle of that play, my first niece was born, me seeing it. So I went in. And then I was sitting there like in this quiet space and absorbing this like wonderful play and also being so excited about, you know, this person was coming into my life. And so now like this play is like my niece and I um, associate those two things that I love so much.
0: I love that, yes. Oh, it makes my heart so happy.
9: (laughs) Kyle, what about you? I guess my memory is goes way back to when I was a little kid in community theater my mom put me in and I just remember being the littlest kid there and just making my mom laugh and that's the funny thing is like you know even though you're 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 putting up a show in front of a lot of strangers sometimes I always just get thrills of just waiting to hear from my mom the laugh if she's there or not and it's something that i always think about anytime a new show goes up and it stays with me because she has a very distinctive laugh and it's very comforting so i mean that memory is always anytime in the theater i always think of her and and that so yeah
0: yeah shout out to moms (laughs) it's fantastic both of you thank you for sharing those great memories thank you Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you?
9: I have, I I mean, I have a couple more so films that I have been developing for a while. Some at certain companies, some independently, which is great because screenwriting is where I started from. But in terms of theater, I I'm really trying to see with this play particularly because it really teeters on between one act and close to a short full length. And, you know, I guess the next step is really to see if it's got some more legs and try to find a longer run of it. And that's, I'm looking forward to, you know, walking away from this great festival, the Chain Theater, their one act festival and, you know, taking the response that we get and kind of seeing where we can go with it next. That That's really in my, in my vision right now to work towards. So yeah, <laughs> those are the goals.
13: <laughs> I do have one shameless plug that I should have mentioned. Yes. Uh, I do own a coffee shop with my partner in Harlem. So if anyone listening wants a really great cup of coffee near 116th Street, yeah, come by Sojourner Coffee.
0: Yes, 116th Street. <laughs> up by where we're at love it well finally if our listeners want more information about shrimp pudding or about either of you perhaps
9: they would like to reach out to you how can they do so you could reach out to me by my instagram is it just kyle c mumford and my website is kyle mumford.com mumford like Bumford and sons it's easy to say <laughs> and remember when i say it that way but yeah that that's me
13: I'm on Instagram if you look up Madison L. Ritter, but my handle is uh still she sings away.
0: Perfect. And I'm so sorry. One more question. When is shrimp pudding playing?
9: We have a show tomorrow, Wednesday 14th, June 14th at 6:30 p.m. And then we have one final show on Saturday, June 24th at 5 p.m. Perfect.
0: Well, Kyle, Madison, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing this wonderful show, Shrimp Pudding. I cannot wait, and I hope we get to see it on Wednesday, June 14th at 6.30 p.m. or Saturday, June 24th at 5 p.m. Thank you all so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That concludes part one of our coverage of the Chain Theaters One Act Festival. Please be sure to come back tomorrow for part two, while remaining six shows. And we hope you've enjoyed this first part. If you'd like more information about Chain Theaters One Act Festival, which is playing now through June 25th at the Chain Theater, you can get that as well as tickets by visiting chaintheater.org. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town.